Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. We're going to look at three verses. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21, 22, and 23. The title of our message is simply God's plan of salvation. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Now I'm going to read this passage from God's Word. You follow along. In your copy, as I read, church, this is the word of God. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Church, have you ever made plans? That's an easy question, right? Yes. Have you ever made big plans? Probably so. Maybe they were plans to graduate from school, or maybe they were plans to learn a skill and get a job. Maybe you got a big Lego set when you were a kid and you had plans to, to build that whole thing the very day that you got it. Maybe you've had plan, made plans to, uh, to go on a nice vacation, maybe plans for a, a wedding ceremony, or maybe, maybe plans to have a child, or, or maybe plans this time of year to, to have a garden, right? Maybe you have big plans to have a big garden. Maybe you've had plans to build a house or maybe remodel your house or part of your house. Maybe I know some of you have had plans to, to restore an old car or something like that. You've had plans to, you fill in the blank. We have plans, we make plans. But regardless of the plans that we make, there are some things that are, I think are true about pretty much all plans that we, that we seek to undertake and seek to accomplish. One, most of these plans require certain things. You've got to have certain ingredients. You've got to have certain things to, to accomplish these plans. Also, most of these plans involve certain obstacles, things that would stand in our way as we seek to, to, to build, the, to make those plans uh, come to fruition. Those things will stand in our way. And pretty much all of these plans, if our plans succeed, it's going to lead to some sort of celebration. It might be a small celebration. It might be a large celebration, depending on how hard those plans were to, to, to accomplish. But when those plans, if they succeed, it will lead to celebration. Now, I want to share with you today about God's plan of salvation, some truths about God's plan of salvation from Matthew chapter 16, these three verses that we just read. And as we study this passage, I think that at least three truths emerge. I want us to see what God's plan of salvation required. I want us to see how God's plan of salvation faced opposition. And I want us to see how God's plan of salvation won out, how it prevailed, how it succeeded. And as we see God's plan succeed, I just want that to lead us to a joyful celebration of Jesus Christ. Now, let me set the context real quick. Jesus here in this passage, he's been living a life with his disciples. He's been traveling around. He's been performing miracles and he has been proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the good news about God's kingdom. If you were to back your eyes up just a few verses, you would see that in the previous passage, God reveals through the apostle Peter, and that's important for our passage today, he reveals through the apostle Peter 
who Jesus is exactly. This buzz has been floating around. Who exactly is this man called Jesus from Nazareth? And Peter said, as God revealed this to him, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which meant that Jesus was God's plan of salvation. That's what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. Jesus is the long awaited son of Adam and son of Abraham and son of David, whom God had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden and whom the prophets for centuries had foretold would come. Excuse me, would come and he would bring salvation to his people and he would establish his eternal kingdom. But the way that Jesus would bring salvation and the way that he would establish his eternal kingdom. Well, it was a shock. It was a shock to the disciples. Verse 21 tells us what God's plan of salvation would require. And it's not what anyone expected. The first truth that we see is that God's plan of salvation required Jesus to die and to rise. God's plan of salvation required Jesus to die and to rise. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed, and he must, on the third day, be raised from the dead. Notice that word must at the beginning of what Jesus said would happen. Jesus began to show them that he must suffer and be killed and rise from the dead. Church, Jesus' death and resurrection are not optional components of God's salvation plan. They are essential. They are necessary in every way. Jesus had to die and rise. But why is it? Why must, that word must, why must Jesus go to Jerusalem to die and rise? Well, first, I just have to say this. It's because God said it would happen. That's what God said would happen. The prophets speaking God's word had foretold that the coming Messiah would suffer and die and rise again. And as we spent some time thinking about and rejoicing in last week, God always keeps his word. And so one reason he had to do this is because God had said that's what was going to happen. And God's word always is fulfilled. But why would God then have this as part of his salvation plan? Let me just simply say it this way. Because it was necessary in order for sinners like you and me to be saved from our sin. Let me summarize the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection this way. Listen closely. In order for us to be saved from our sin, payment for our sin had to be made on our behalf. God can't let sin go unpunished. Someone had to take that punishment. And so Jesus' death was necessary if we were going to be saved from our sin. And in order for us to have victory over the consequence of our sin, which is eternal death, death had to be defeated. And that is why Jesus had to go to Jerusalem to die and to rise. Jesus' death provided the perfect payment for our sin as Jesus was punished in our place. And Jesus' resurrection provided victory over death as he rose up and conquered the grave. Friend, there is no salvation, no salvation from sin. No salvation from God's eternal wrath without the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's salvation plan required that Jesus die and rise. Now, like I said, this requirement was unexpected. Even though God's prophets had said this would happen, the disciples, they were still shocked by what Jesus was saying would happen to him. And so Peter, who, if you know much about Peter, he, like most of us, seemed to be quick to speak 
and slow to listen. And so he blurts out what he thinks when he hears Jesus say that he is going to die and to rise. And he protested. That's, that's what Peter's response is. It is a protest. And that leads to our second truth in church. It's this. God's plan of salvation faced opposition. God's plan of salvation faced opposition. Peter had just uttered revelation from God. Remember the previous passage? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus even looked at Peter and said, Peter, that's not coming from you. That's coming from God. Peter had just uttered revelation from God. He had just said that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. But as soon as he hears Jesus talk about being killed and rising from the dead, Peter goes from uttering the words of God to uttering the words of Satan. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, we could speculate as to why in Peter's mind he didn't like that. He was pro why he protested so strongly. But friends, there is no need to speculate on where this statement came from, because the text quickly draws our attention to the real culprit here. And that is none other than Satan himself. Jesus immediately responds to Peter's rebuke with his own rebuke. But he doesn't address Peter as Peter. He addresses Peter as Satan. Church, God's plan of salvation faced opposition strong opposition. And while on the surface it may seem like this opposition is merely caused by humans, this passage teaches us that under the surface, behind the scenes, the opposition against God's plan of salvation is being launched by that serpent from all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God's enemy, Satan himself. Ever since he tempted Adam and Eve to sin, Satan has been trying to thwart God's good plans. He has been opposing God's good salvation plan. Satan hates God. He seeks to steal God's glory. And so Satan's mission is to compromise God's mission. That is Satan's mission in life to compromise, to thwart, to derail God's mission. And we see this clearly in this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Peter may have been speaking, the words might have been coming out of Peter's mouth, but Jesus looked through Peter and he saw the real enemy. Over and over again in Scripture, we see God's plan face opposition. And in this passage, we see that opposition to God's plan strike directly at the heart of God's plan of salvation by trying to keep Jesus, the Messiah, from going to Jerusalem to die on the cross and rise from the dead. But praise God, over and over again in Scripture, church, we see God's plan prevail. We see God's plan win out. God's plan of salvation required Jesus to die and rise. God's plan of salvation faced opposition. But church family, the third and, and, and amazing truth I want to share with you is this. God's plan of salvation prevailed. God's plan of salvation prevailed. Jesus' response to Peter reveals that there was a spiritual battle raging. It was Jesus, the Son of God, versus Satan, the enemy of God. Satan was opposing God's plan of salvation by opposing Jesus and the mission for which he was sent to earth. But here we see in this passage, Jesus was not moved. Jesus was not thrown off course. Jesus was not defeated by Satan's scheming. Jesus did perfectly what James instructed Christians to do in his letter to the believers in that day. He submitted to God and he resisted the devil. 
He submitted to God's will for his life. And in submitting to God's will, he resisted the opposing plans of the enemy, Satan. Church, Jesus prevailed. Verse 23, but he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You're trying to throw me off course, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Though Satan's mind and Peter's mind were not set on the things of God, friends, Jesus's mind was set on the things of God. He knew his mission. Fulfill God's salvation plan by saving people from their sin. He knew what that mission required. That he had to go to the cross to die as payment for our sin. And then defeat death by rising up from the dead. And he resisted the opposition successfully. Jesus' mind was set on the things of God. And therefore Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus then set his eyes on Jerusalem. His mind was set on the mission of God. His eyes set on Jerusalem. He marched straight into death. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. And there on a Roman cross that was built and designed for criminals, the Lord of glory endured the wrath of God the Almighty by dying in the place of sinners. But, church, Though Jesus marched straight into death on Friday, on Sunday morning, he marched straight out of that tomb. Praise the Lord. Having conquered death once and for all, where we should be there, where we should be sealed forever, Jesus, he marched straight out, opening up a way for sinners who deserve that death to have life everlasting. The empty tomb is a victory shout declaring that God's plan of salvation has prevailed. Church, Jesus accomplished what he came to accomplish, and that is God's plan of salvation, which means here's the here's the good news for us today, because Jesus did what he came to do. Everyone who believes in this salvation plan, everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved from their sin. And so let me just ask you, what about you? What about you? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you entrusted yourself to God's plan of salvation? Maybe you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, but you feel like there's some opposition there. There's some voice that's whispering, no, not today, no, not now, maybe giving you reasons why you shouldn't do that. Friend, Satan is still opposed to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He can't undo what Jesus did on the cross and by rising from the dead, praise the Lord, but he is working to draw people away from what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. But here's more good news. If God is calling you to believe in Jesus, his grace is strong. His power is stronger. You can submit to God's plan and resist the opposition of the enemy. You can believe in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. By God's grace, you can prevail. I can prevail because Jesus has prevailed. And so will you believe in Jesus Christ today? And if you have believed in Jesus for salvation, will you celebrate 
what Jesus has done. Not just today, but every day until we see the face of our risen Lord and Savior in all of His glory. Church, let's celebrate God's salvation plan. Let's celebrate the death and resurrection of God's Son. Let's celebrate good triumphing over evil. Let me simply put it this way. Let's celebrate Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your salvation plan. God, Jesus is worthy of all the praise that we can offer. So God, in the remainder of this service, may we just lift our hearts together in celebrating what Christ has done. It is in the matchless and glorious name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.